Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I am your host, Cody Kelly. I have some great topics. Happy the holiday season is in full effect, uh, winding down. We're coming up to New Year's. I've managed to stay off the uh, Christmas weight gain. Had a couple bad days of eating, but I'm back, back in full effect. Uh, we're going to get down to it, to the impeachment update, to uh, developments in the political process, focusing on gerrymandering to what's happening in air travel all the way to the best IPOs of 2019. Stay tuned. It seems like gerrymandering is back in full effect. Article by Jane Tim. Um, The gerrymandering wars are heading south. Number of southern states, including Texas, Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina, are prime targets for partisan gerrymandering as the congressional redistricting process gets underway after next year's state house elections. Many of the states that have really aggressive gerrymanders, uh, the last time Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin have uh, began to engage in processes which are much fairer uh, now. Uh, redistricting, redistricting expert at the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University said, referring to what took place after the 2010 census. The real worry is that fast-growing states, particularly in the South, are changing uh, demographics. The the United States Supreme Court has declined to outlaw partisan gerrymandering, saying only states can police that. But it also removed a key safeguard against gerrymandering, but gutting or by gutting the Voting Rights Act of 2013. Some of the developments uh, that are really coming down play. They are calling that the South is ground zero for this fight. North Carolina state courts have made big efforts to curb partisan gerrymandering. There have been more attempts uh, added in other states. Florida, the state, is anticipated to get two new congressional seats after the 2020 census, and Democrats are trying to flip both the state house and the state senate. Uh, Some of my thoughts. So uh, gerrymandering is a... Age old, I guess you could use that phrase, practice uh, that politicians utilize to make sure that the power or the traditional powerhouses in certain geographical regions stay the same. Uh, The problem with that is it's inherently discriminatory and it restricts competition because there's no uh, free flow of entry. Uh, The other, I think, uh, development is because things are so dynamic now, things are changing at a very rapid pace. There's no such thing as all red or all blue, right? There's like many different shades of blue, many different um, sects of liberalism, and many different uh, sects within uh, conservatism. Uh, so to cluster um, a specific geographical region into one thought or voting block to ensure the candidate's success and the and the party's success is a dying strategy. It's not yet a dinosaur, but it is becoming one. Um, and the reality is uh, you really have to focus on niche groups. And maybe, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, it's, it's because everybody's district is kind of like having like what used to be and then now what is. And you basically have two sides fighting for the same district. Uh, but there just maybe has to be a rethought of our whole political process as a whole. Um, 
you can't be so this that you're not willing to listen to the other side, right? And the reality is most Americans are amalgamation, right? We're kind of a hybrid um, hybrid and, and mixed uh, cluster of just everything, right? And a kaleidoscope, really a thought. So your politics have to reflect that. And the way it's currently done is just not a true system for that. Uh, this is going to be interesting as we prepare for the 2020 presidential election. Uh, but I see a definite change in structure, not coming soon. But as gerrymandering becomes really a play by both sides, not just a Republican play, but a Democratic play as well, uh, particularly if you live in Chicago, uh, these things will have a ripple-down effect, and ultimately, you'll just have to change the institution as a whole. Trump uh, has decided to fire off post-Christmas tweet storm over the uh, developments within the impeachment process. Alan Smith goes on to state that the radical left, uh, the do-nothing Democrats, as Trump has referred to them, said that they wanted to rush everything through to the Senate because Trump is a threat to national security. They are vicious and will say anything, uh, according to the president, but now they don't want to go fast anymore. They want to go very slowly, Trump tweeted. The president also attacked Pelosi's congressional district as filthy and dirty and one of the worst anywhere in the U.S. calling Pelosi crazy. Trump also suggested that she should face a 2020 primary challenge. The president has lamented how much more difficult it is to deal with foreign leaders amid impeachment. Therefore, New York has pushed for a single resolution that would set parameters for presenting the case and allowing for the calling of witnesses. Uh, Schumer has said he wants the Senate to call four witnesses, including former National Security Advisor John Bolton and acting White House Chief of Staff Mike Mulvaney to testify about Trump's conduct toward Ukraine. Uh, so impeachment is ugly. Um, even though this is the push and the desire for a lot, for many Americans, as you can see, it's becoming uh, a nightmare because anytime you're talking about removing somebody from a position, especially a position that gives them much power, the dominoes will fall. Even though this needs to be done, I'm not saying it doesn't, it does. I believe it was an obstruction adjustment and an abuse of power. I believe both articles that were presented against the president are true and are not just political uh, partisanship or propaganda, but it is true. You know, I also believe that there has to be good judgment even within the removal uh, of a sitting president. And this has to go through the Senate. And it has to go through proper due process. So there's going to be a very interesting development coming down uh, the pipeline. Uh, we'll see what the Senate does. We'll see how they vote. Uh, but ultimately, this is really a question of the protection of the United States Constitution and being on the right side of history. Uh, because the, the worst thing to do is to you know, dig your heels in and stick to uh, things that will not benefit the whole of the United States is to put, you know, you have to, in a sense, think of the well-being and then allow of the country and allow that general catharsis to be the motivating push in whatever direction it takes. Uh, so the impeachment moves on. It is now uh, going through this due process. It now has to be kicked to the Senate. The Senate 
now has the ball, and we'll see who takes the next dribble. There's been some interesting updates in the airline industry. Airline catering workers in Phoenix stated that the food is getting too hot on the tarmac. On the tarmac that can top or to get up to 120 degrees, workers said it can take three hours to get food to planes, and dry ice is being used to cool the food so that uh, no evaporation will happen before delivery. Adele Kaplan goes on to state that when you order food on a plane, there's a chance it was preheated for you on the tarmac unintentionally. Airplane food is made at catering facilities at or near airports, usually by one of a group of large firms that contract with the airlines. The food is brought to the planes by hydraulic delivery trucks, which, according to workers, aren't always temperature controlled. You may have seen one of these trucks pulled up to the side of your jet, sporting the logo LSG Sky Chefs, Gate Gourmet, or Flying Food Group, and three companies that make up nearly half of the U.S. airline catering industry. Workers at LSG Sky Chefs facility that serves Phoenix Airport sent a letter to the Food and Drug Administration expressing concerns that the food was reaching unsafe temperatures on its way to the plains. South of downtown Phoenix, in the Sonoran Desert, Sky Harbor International Airport often experiences intense heat. Two summers ago, temperatures on the tarmac got so high that dozens of flights were grounded because high heat makes it difficult to take off. So some of my thoughts, so as climate change is continuing to rear its ugly head and cause devastation upon, upon the earth, temperatures are gradually getting warmer, you know, Sometimes us in Chicago, because we don't really feel the effects of that, kind of brush to the side. But it's things like this. It's it's now the increase in temperature, which makes, you know, food delivery hard uh, because food has to be controlled. Food spoils. Food is a organism. And when it's not in its proper um, confines, it can become contaminated. Contaminated food can make people sick upon ingestion. Uh, so this is a health concern. And you start talking about, well, how do you preserve? So now do you want to get more chemicals to, you know, uh, level off the temperature of, you know, the rising heat? <laughs> you know, therefore your food becomes less and less natural. What we're really seeing here is the ripple down or the trickle down effects of climate change uh, and how... It affects everything. It's not just, hey, it's getting hotter, right? Like, hey, you know, it's not just, I'll be tan more. Like, no, it's a serious problem. It's a serious concern that has devastating consequences. And this is one of those devastating consequences that to some who feel like, well, I don't fly that much. And if I get a, you know, I don't order food on a plane like that anyway, or I bring my own food. You say that, but as things uh, get worse, you know, the cost of everything will go up. Because you have to have food available for people. People who are on medicine, people who have dietary needs, and they are on a schedule to eat. So you can't say, well, you know, we don't need the food. The food is essential. Uh, so it becomes more costly for the consumer. Uh, so our, I think the step forward and the next step is to look at cost-effective ways to manage food temperature and then focus on the bigger issue, which is climate change as a whole. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now into our investors news. Best IPOs of 2019 by Alyssa Newcomb. Uh, Alyssa goes on to state that what was supposed to be a defining year for technology companies making initial public offerings have quickly turned into a year of caution. 
after several high-profile flops and failures. At least 203 companies filed for IPOs this year, down from 211 for the previous year, according to the Renaissance Capital. The markets weathered plenty of volatile movements from a government shutdown in January to trade wars and to companies like WeWork failing. There's a clear shift to demand for clear paths to profitability, stronger definition of a business model. Let's look at Lyft. Lyft beat Uber to a IPO, and the results were a sign of what was to come. The ride-hailing giant opened March 28 at $72 a share, then sank as an investor's concern mounted. Now it is currently trading around $45. Now, I can personally attest, the first day that Lyft went on its IPO, I bought a share because I wasn't sure where Lyft was going, but I got excited like everybody else, and I was like, this could be the new wave, and literally within a week, it was half the price that I bought it for. I think I bought it for around $80. Like I said, it's around $45 now, so... It was a disappointing IPO. Uh, obviously, it can still bounce back. But the reality is Uber probably should consume Lyft. Uh, that should be the next acquisition. Um, there, There's just, I think a lot of people right now, a lot of companies are just trying to strike it rich and they're throwing darts in the dark. And to me, this is one of those darts in the dark to raise revenue or raise you know, capital. And it might, in the long term, be a bad move uh, for Lyft. Uh, so I personally have felt the effect. Thank God I only bought one share, but I, I know what it's like to watch something that you had so much hope. I was thinking it was going to be like the new Amazon, right? Uh, but then it came tumbling down. So next one is the Wii company. I did not buy this. And for good reason, the Wii company, the group behind WeWork was supposed to be one of the most anticipated IPOs of the year. That all changed as investors and journalists, questioned its 47 billion dollar valuation so uh in my understanding we work was supposed to go big and then it was supposed to get financially backed by chase what ended up happening was their business model was not solid and their service offering is yeah it's great to have these basically customizable, you know, professional suites that are just moving ready and you can just come and all you need is, you know, basically human capital at that point. Um, But the problem is, as a shared service or as this kind of renters, (laughs) professional renters uh, move, there are other companies that not only offer that, but do it at a very nominal price. Uh, and WeWork wasn't strong enough to just have a thriving client base, right? Like, WeWork was great for companies who are already established and are just moving into a geographical area that they did not have a presence in, a physical presence uh, in, and they wanted to hit the ground running. Uh, but, you, you know, you're talking about an established company already. Any startups, WeWork really... Unless you just got the revenue to do it, wouldn't be that much appealing. Larger uh, companies, your Boeings of the world, your Amazons, usually have their own headquarters, their own facilities, people, uh, corporate real estate. So it's just, I think their niche was too broad, their reach was too broad and their niche was too small. And it basically, you know, fell to crap. And as of December 27th, um, the WeWork... Uh, is not going. It was a bust. 
their plans to go public were put on hold. Founder and CEO Adam Newman was ousted. Yes, he was let go. I covered that in one of my previous uh, podcasts. And the company took a bailout from its biggest investor, which is SoftBank. Let's go on to Guardian Health Services. It was a health technology company focusing on early detection, intervention, and treatment of eye diseases. Uh, I suppose the California-based company has a distinction to being the worst performing IPO of the year. Trading under the stock symbol GHSI. Now the stock has a high valuation of $4. Uh, but now trades for 18 cents. Wow, that's terrible. Now, there's some hope. So sometimes when there's bad, you know, devaluation of a stock, it, it signals, yes, the company is not healthy fiscally. But it also says that a buyer can come in and assume most of his assets. So if it's just 18 cents a share... You know, it's a buy. <laughs> just go and buy. Uh, you know, I, it, it's one of those. You know, there's those saying there's blood on the streets buy property. It's and, and I, you know, not to use that analogy, but it might be something to look into. Distributor of Jewel J U U L and other vaping products. Another bad performer. Uh, symbol J N L N dropped seventeen percent. Is trading around two dollars and ninety cents, which is a ninety cent drop from its original listing price, twenty nine dollars. Sundale Growers, a marijuana company, was down 85%, which I'm shocked. I really thought your marijuana IPOs would do better this year. I know, like, MJ didn't do as well as expected. Uh, the I think the only marijuana ETF, there might be another one, but it was the first ETF released. Um, but it is expected to light up to the tune of $23.4 billion in the next two years. So there's some, you know, turnaround. thing about investments is it's a long-term game. It's not for, it's not betting, it's not gambling, it's not, you know, playing the lottery. It's, it's the long-term haul that yields, you know, the highest winners. All right, that's a wrap. Till next time, I appreciate sharing this content. More is coming. Working on some things is really going to be interesting in 2020. Uh, but I plan to have multiple episodes per week for you guys, including a true sports edition. Uh, but stay tuned. Connect with me on Instagram, CBMK33, YouTube, CBK. I'd love to just connect with you, engage. Let me know your thoughts, what you want me to cover. But until next time, thanks.